thank you that in your greatness, though you live in a high and holy place, you are with the lowly and the broken in heart. We are weak. We are tired. Some of us are discouraged. Would you come meet us in that place? Would you minister to that place, Jesus? As we look to your word now, would you keep speaking to that place? Would you not leave us in our weakness or fatigue? Would you strengthen us and encourage us, energize us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Last week we started a new sermon series called An Honest Answer. And the ideas behind that sermon series we had been talking about for, for a while, but uh, the title of it, An Honest Answer, came from a TED Talk uh, that I just saw recently in, the, in recent weeks from a critical care EMT um, in, from New York City. He gave a TED Talk, and in his line of work, he came across often situations where the, the injuries were so critical that there was nothing that could be done, and a person would ask him, am I going to die? And in his early career, his response was always to say, no, you're not going to die. He didn't want to add to the fact that they were going to die, that they're going through this, you know, have terror and have to deal with that in their last moments of life. But then one day, he decided to give an honest answer. In a a very horrible motorcycle accident, he knew the man had only minutes to live. The man asked him, am I going to die? And he said, yes. And to his surprise, there wasn't a look of horror or terror, but a look of acceptance and even a sense of peace that came with it. And from that day forward, he decided he was not going to comfort the dying with his lies, in his words. He was going to give an honest answer. And he says routinely what he sees often in this, almost every time, is When someone knows they're in their last moments, there's an acceptance and that there's an inner inner peace. Now, what that has brought to me is do we, as followers of Jesus, give an honest answer about the question, am I going to die? Am I going to die? We are all going to die. And yet, we don't want to think about that. And sociologists have done studies that say we do everything we can to distract ourselves from that reality, to deny that that's happening, that a large portion of society itself, what is motivating it at a subconscious level is to to avoid thinking about, realizing, accepting that we're going to die. But as followers of Jesus, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live with a spirit of fear of death. We don't have to live in a subconscious state of denial. We can face death 
our own and those we love, with a resiliency and a hope. The Bible is filled with things that help us, equip us to face death and that encourage us there is life beyond death. That we can come to know God in such a way that we have a sure and certain hope there is life after death. So, I want to, I want to just acknowledge two things, though, to be clear about what I'm not saying. The fact that we're equipped to face death as Christians does not mean that death is easy. That there aren't feelings of sadness or anger or shock or despair. That when we are leading up to it, for us or our loved ones, we don't have fears and concerns. That's, that's not, not what I'm saying. In fact, especially if it's an untimely death. Pastor Dave Wiesner, who, who has retired but was at the Methodist Church in town, he taught me that there, are, there is always grief with death. But when there's an untimely death, when there's a tragic death, when there's a death at younger years, there's like a double grief that happens. Because this shouldn't have happened so soon. And so there will be all kinds of range of shock and all of that. That's part of it. And we will be sad. Because the person who we love is no longer here with us. And even if it's an expected death and we're thankful that they're no longer suffering, what I've found is, is you, can, you can't prepare. You can only prepare to grieve so long. You can't do all the grief ahead of time. Some of what comes, comes when the person passes. Some of the grief keeps coming back afterwards. So I'm not saying that as Christians, we put on a spiritual pace and say, well, they're in a better place, and we don't acknowledge we're sad, we're angry, even, even we're scared, but we do not live like those who have no hope. We do not shrink back from death. We don't ignore death or, or pretend it's not here. We don't need to do that. Now, the other thing I would say, oh, man. The other thing I would, would say, I guess I'm not going to say it. Um, I'm going to go to this instead. This is here today, and I am aware that for a number of you in this room, just seeing that, it hurts. It's like almost like I don't know if I want to be here. This is here by my request. I'd like to keep it here leading up to Easter. And here's why. Here's why. Just so we know, we have this thing here. Most of us are happy this is here or don't care that this is here. We aren't upset that it's here. In fact, one of the things that people have been... I've, it's come to my attention that gets some people very frustrated is when one of these isn't here. You know, we might have a Christmas season where with the decor we don't have it here or sometimes intentionally I say let's not have a cross on the stage so that when we have Lent the cross comes back and there's more impact. But some people feel like a, a cross should be here all the time. And I actually understand that and that's a really valid, valid thing. It's such an important and powerful symbol. But... What I want you to know is that for the early church, this felt like this. This is an electric chair. This is an execution thing that they've seen people they love get executed on. In the early church, 
they didn't even use this as their symbol for the first 100 or 200 years. They used like the fish symbol that, I want to say it, but I'll pronounce it wrong. something They didn't use this. This came on later. I love this symbol. This is an important symbol. It's a powerful symbol. If you meditate, if, it's amazing what can happen if you just spend five, ten minutes looking at a cross. So I'm all for this symbol, but sometimes we lose what's so horrible about this. Because it's just a pretty, pretty thing in our churches. And we lose it feels like this when it happened. But my ra- main reason isn't to say these are two different symbols. And now I remembered my second point I was going to make. I don't want us to fixate on death, to get morbid. That's not the, the point of this. The point of this is to have perspective, to know the honest answer, we're all going here. And so that should impact how we live. So here is the quote from St. Benedict, from the rule of St. Benedict that I shared last week. To desire eternal life with all the passion of the Spirit and to keep death daily before one's eyes. That's what these monks did. That was part of their daily routine. They wanted to make sure they always kept the right perspective so that how they lived that day was in light of what's real. Or from the Bible... Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we keep this before us, that this is where we're going, so we live well. We keep this before us, that our time here is this long compared to eternity, which just keeps going, so we live well and are ready for that. And so for the next couple weeks, I want to talk about that. Now, In the TED Talk, this EMT person said there were three common, usually these are the things that always came up. There was a need for forgiveness, and people, whether you're religious, irreligious, people use different terminology, sin or didn't use sin, or or regret, but there was this sense of, ah. And on Good Friday, that's that's what we're going to talk about. But there's also the need for remembrance and the need to know their life had meaning. So last week... I encourage, David served his generation, served God in his generation, and then he died, and his life had meaning. We serve God, we do our part, and our life has meaning. But today and next week, I want to talk more about remembrance. One of the things that people want to know is, will I be remembered? Will I be remembered? How will I be remembered? And so my question for today is, will you leave behind a blessing that lasts beyond death? Will you leave behind a blessing that lasts beyond death? And this week and next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some stories in Genesis, and we're going to look at Jesus to give us perspective. How do we live in light of the fact that we're going here, that we're only here a short time, and that we're actually preparing for something that lasts way longer? How do we live now? How do we leave a blessing that goes beyond death? So... First thing we're going to do in Genesis, we're going to look at two stories. From Genesis 27, verse 1, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, 
and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So Isaac has twin sons. Esau was the first one to come out, then Jacob. There is a prophecy at that time. I don't know who knew it, who gave it, what, but the sense that the younger one, the one that came out second, was going to be above the one that came out first, which is opposite of how that, that worked at that time. So Isaac, though, maybe he didn't know that. Maybe he just ignored that. What is clear in the story of the Bible is Esau was Isaac's favorite. He loved Esau. He wanted to give Esau the blessing. Jacob, the twin brother, was mom's favorite. So when mom overheard Isaac say, go out because I'm going to give you my blessing. Go get some food for me and prepare it. She says to Jacob, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend you're Esau. We're going to kill an animal. I know how how to make the food just like your dad likes it. I will spice it up that way. We'll just take a goat and we'll do that. And he says, yeah, but... How is he? I mean, it's, he's going to know it's me. No, he can't see. He's blind. Yeah, but he'll still know he's me. Well, no, we'll put goat hair on your arms because then you'll feel like Esau. So you're going to taste things like Esau makes. He's going to feel things like that. And then we'll put on his clothes so that you smell like Esau. We'll get all these senses involved since he can't see and he'll think you're Esau. And guess what? It works. And so in verse 27, so Isaac went to Jacob and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. That the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob gets the blessing He leaves, Esau shows up with the food prepared, ready to go, and he says, you know, here I am, and who is this? It's me, Esau. In verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother has come deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, which means deceiver? This is the second time he has come, he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven and above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from all your neck. I want to make a couple observations about this story. One is, these people who were, who were getting to know God, who were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, believed that a blessing had a big impact. They believed a spoken blessing, maybe particularly in the family line, but a spoken blessing had a big impact. 
It wasn't just words, careless words. There was something to it. And a couple points I want to make on that is we also, our words really matter. The Bible throughout is that careless words are not a good thing because words actually do shape reality. And so we need to be careful about our words. We have the potential to bless and to curse. There's a priestly blessing that comes a few books later in the Bible that the priests gave. And I am convinced that there is something to it. There's something tangible that happens. So at the end of every service, one of us gets up here and blesses. And I think it matters. Something is received in that blessing. When I was in college, my first years, it was like, do I go to church or do I not go to church? And, you know, sometimes I'd sleep in. i just, you know, watch football, go in, have brunch instead of breakfast, and just watch football. And, and I just, like, almost always, my day wasn't as good. Almost always. I mean, I'd go to some, I mean, I still believed in God, and I don't, like, you can make more of it than that. But I wondered since then, is there something to just being in the presence? Is there something to receiving a blessing at the end? Anyway, that's one, one aspect, is they believed in the blessing. And Isaac gave it in such a way, and this is really strange, that he gave it in such a way that it would only go to one. Now, did they live with the blessing? Like, Jacob got it. But he also didn't get it. There's a way in which Jacob got the title, he got the stuff, he got something in the spiritual realm, but he knew his dad really liked the, his brother better. He knew his dad really wanted to give it to his brother. He knew that for the rest of his life. And so sometimes we can, you know, be blessing one of our children or we could receive this from our parents but there's sort of a feeling of like because you've got to do all this because you've got to measure up because you've got to and there's just this underneath feeling of wanting to be blessed just for who we are that we don't get now Jacob in the next story he's old he's about to die and or at least he knows he won't be living long And Joseph, who he has a favorite son too, but Joseph comes up and Joseph brings the grandkids to him. And so here it is, verse 8 from chapter 48. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now, Joseph brought them to him and and he put his hand like, here's your right hand goes on the oldest, your left hand's going to go on the younger one, and that, you know, because this one, the right hand, is single, a stronger blessing than the other one, and Israel went, Israel, who's Jacob, went, did that when he went to bless him. Verse 19, but his father, and so he's saying, no, 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 you got it wrong. Joseph's saying, you got it wrong. And his father said, refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a great become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So now Jacob has got to the point where like, it doesn't need to just be one person. I can bless in a way that both are blessed. He still does this. But I mean, we're making progress. 
Like, bless. Then, verse 49, chapter 49, then Jacob called for his sons and said, his 12 sons, and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. And then if we keep reading, he, he just goes through son by son and gives specific blessing with word pictures, actually, and, and sort of a prophetic way. This is what's going to happen in the future. And so verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Now, there's something about the blessing being passed on, and it's not just a general, I love you. It's not just a general, I love you. It is like, this is what I see in you. And this is what I see in you. Now, some of these blessings don't feel like blessings to me, in all honesty. They seem a little... But one of, the, one of them is like Levi. Levi and Simeon, they went out and slaughtered a bunch of guys, deceived and slaughtered a bunch of guys that their dad had made a, a pact with because they were mad at what happened to their sister in, a, in an act of revenge. And so he calls that quality out in them. Now, here's what I want you to know about blessing people. Sometimes what becomes most obvious to us or what is most obvious in our eyes and what we think about the most is something negative about a person, even people we love or close to or live with. We see something negative. Now, usually every strength has a weakness, and every weakness has a corresponding strength to it. So Levi Something, they did something to my sister, I'm loyal to my sister, and he does something not good. But you know what? Levi became the tribe where Moses came from. Levi became the tribe where the priests came from. And Levi came the tribe when everyone else was going to idolatry and forsaking the Lord, they were still zealous for the Lord. See, there was a negative, we're going but there's also a strength. So when you're looking at people, think, what is the corresponding? Like strong-willed children. Strong-willed children aren't fun to parent. At some point, like, I, I, this just came to be the, the one story where, where one of my sons is saying, no! He's like two or three, no! It's, it's Emmett, I'll give it away. He's Emmett. No! And I say, Emmett, who's in charge? Me? No. Elliot? <laughs> no. I'm in, in charge. You're in charge. It's like, really? I mean, I can see Elliot, but you? So, but here's the thing. If you channel a strong will, then peer pressure, a strong will can stand up against peer pressure. You need to bless the good part of a strong will and not just try to crush it. Anyway, wow, I am way down a bunny trail there. Now I want to move on to Jesus, and I want to take a, nope, yeah, I'll take a quick aside, a quick aside to say, what about, this is mainly do, what kind of blessing do we leave behind, but what about trying to bless someone who is moving toward death? Because Jesus is moving toward death in these two stories. So first of all, from Luke chapter 22, Verse 14, when the hour came, so he knows the next day he's going to die. When the hour came, Jesus and the disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. One of the longings I think we have is to know and be known with people, maybe around a table. 
reclining. We know from John, one of the disciples is literally on Jesus' chest, just like almost cuddled. At the end of life, I notice people want to squeeze hands. That physical touch, that love, that being with. One other quick one, again, this is the context, is Jesus knowing he's going to die. Uh, Chapter 22, I'll just have to read it from up here. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. We know in the context of what comes later, stay here and pray with me. One of the things as we're facing death, will you be with me? As I'm getting older in life, will you be with me? Will you pray with me? Sometimes what I observe is because people are uncomfortable with death, they're uncomfortable by, with seeing someone they love change, they stay away. They aren't with them. Because we haven't figured out how to deal with death, we aren't with someone as they're going toward dying. We aren't with them. His disciples weren't comfortable with him dying. Jesus said multiple times before this last week, I am going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And the first time he says it, he says, the one Peter gets up and says, never, Lord, may it never happen. And Jesus is trying to say, no. The honest answer is this is what's going to happen. We need to accept that's what's going to happen. Okay, finally, to move this closer to an end, I want to, I want to talk about how Jesus left behind a blessing. John 13, 1. It was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus knows he's going to die. And John 13 through 17 is him with the people he's closest to. What is he leaving behind? Because he knows he's going to die. So I'd like to summarize. Jesus leaves behind love and forgiveness. He says in these next verses, he says it symbolically, but he says, I have forgiven you. I've washed you. I've cleaned you. You are forgiven. That is a good thing to leave behind. What's not a good thing to leave behind is, I still hate you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to. Second, he leaves behind an example for them to follow. So that's what he says in John 13, 15. Then next, he leaves an example of encouragement to love. He says this twice in these last moments together, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. We can set up, I'm, I'm not of this age, those of us who are older can set up having things in order so that our kids don't have to fight over the stuff. We can have things in order so our kids don't have to deal with all the stress of what we leave behind, which is problems. That is a loving thing. We can set up, how are they going to love each other when I'm gone? Not just what am I going to give them, but how can they love each other? Next, he gives the knowledge of salvation and God. Jesus did this throughout his life, but he does it right at the end too. I am the way and the truth of life. Eternal life is to know God and know me who who he sent. He, He showed them that. And he also gave assurance, like, we're going to be together again. Listen, at the end of life, when, when you have passed away, I have observed a whole spectrum of this. I have observed people who have talked about their faith, who have shared their faith, who have a genuine, not in a, not in a like, passive-aggressive way, just a genuine, like, I love Jesus, I believe Jesus, I'm confident in Jesus. 
And what a gift that is because their salvation is secure. And I have talked to people like, well, they went to church some or they were a pretty good person. It's different. It is different. Will you talk about God, talk about your faith with the people closest to you? Next, entrusting the realistic comfort and hope. They, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He says a bu- multiple times in this last time talking to them, it's going to be hard. But peace I leave with you. Take heart, I have overcome the world. It is, there is a way you can make it through. There is entrusting to God. Jesus says, I, there is much I want to tell you now. But you couldn't handle it. Jesus himself had limitations because of time, because of space. He could only share so much. He could only do so much. But the very next thing is, but the Holy Spirit is coming to help you. So on one hand, you do what you can, but you, there's, we never do enough. We never do it all right. We never, but we trust God, you do it. And so that leads to the last thing. Jesus prayed for them. He prayed for them. He left that behind. That is a blessing. So now we go to action steps. Last week I gave an action step. Write what you would want on your gravestone. Like, what's a phrase? What would people say about you? Or in your obituary, what's a paragraph to? What would be said about you right now? What would you want said about you at the end? And if you want to go beyond surface level with people, do that exercise on your own and then share it with a couple people. We had our elders and staff this week. That's what they did in groups of three. They shared. They talked about how would we want to be remembered. And I just had multiple of them come up to me and say it was just, it was so connecting. So this is something you could do with people in your family or not, people beyond. This week, what I'd like to encourage you to do is to write a letter to a loved one or someone close to you, not to give it to them, but as an exercise. Write a letter you would write if you were to die next week if you were to die next week, what would you write? This is where this idea came from. In the Navy, at least 20 years ago when I heard this from this chaplain, before they got deployed in the Navy, they had to write a letter to all their family. He had to write a letter to his wife, write a letter to his children, that if the ship went down, it would be given to them. As he does that, he is just bawling, right? Like This is, this is what I'm leaving them. Now, why I say this is an exercise is what could emerge, what could emerge from it, what has been left unsaid to this point? When it's really important, what's left unsaid? It might not be the best. It might work, but it might not be the best like, hey, if I was going to die, this is what I'd say to you. It might not be the best kind of letter. But you could write a letter. Or you could say one of those things that you have in the letter that has never gone expressed. At at our birthdays, Camille has a thing that we do. Whoever's birthday it is, it may happen on the day, or whenever we can have some sort of meal within that time. Granted, Elsa's we just did like last week, and her birthday's in December, but anyway, but we get them in, we get them in. Uh, Everyone around the table just says, what do they appreciate about that person? It's easy to fight when you live in the same house. It's good to know what you appreciate about people. I have a whole bunch of letters from Camille. 
have a letter from my son Elliot that's one of my treasured possessions. Words spoken that I didn't know about. He didn't wait till I die. Wait till I'm old to express them. If we don't ignore that this is where we're going, then we realize, I want to say it while I can. I want to say it while I can. I have the worship team come up. Now, this is a heavy sermon. One of the reasons this is a heavy sermon is, I think all of us, all of us, don't get the blessing that we need. There are gaps, and some of us, the gaps are even are bigger than others. And so this just kind of exposes aches and heart like Esau, like, isn't there blessing for me? And for a variety of reasons, that's very difficult. So I want to close with this. I want to close with reminding you that God says you are adopted into his family, that no human father could ever give you the blessing that your soul needs at its deepest level. Because what it needs at its deepest level is a blessing from their heavenly father. And he says, I love you. And he says through Jesus, every spiritual blessing is made available to you. And he says, we are brothers. Jesus said, who are my mother and brothers? These are my mothers and brothers. Whoever believes in me is my brothers and brothers. And so we can, it's not just, it, there is something to a biological blessing, but that is not, if it doesn't happen there, there is something to being part of a spiritual family where we can bless one another, where we can bless people who've never heard the blessing. And so today, what I want to do as we close is I just want to create space and ask God, fill in the gaps. We are family together. We have people who are feeling alone. We have people who are feeling like they're never going to hear what they need to hear. Fill in those gaps, Jesus. And if I'm one of those people, well, we all are to a certain extent, but fill in my gaps. I want to receive your blessing, but also I want to be one who fills in the gaps. I want to be one who speaks the blessing, who gives, the, who is present, who holds the hand. Would you put that in me too? So as we sing this last song, I just, I've envisioned as I pray that there's these things that get dropped into us for what we need for ourselves and for what God could give through us to others who need it. So may that happen. Would you stand as we move to this last song? God, thank you that you are rich in blessings, that there are treasures in the heavenly, heavenly realms, treasures upon treasures that you make available to us in Jesus. that the sense of knowing that we're loved, that the sense of knowing you're proud of us, to erase the negative voices and hear your voice, may that be released in us today. And would you set up today, even divine appointments, we wanna send blessing from this place as we pray, but we also wanna go be carriers of that blessing. Would you set up the divine appointments? Would you give us the right words at the right times? Would there be real, tangible blessings that impact us, that impact others through us? We're asking it in Jesus' name. Amen.